Thank you for downloading the Beacon Church podcast. We hope that you enjoy today's message and that you find that God speaks to you through it. Now we get to grill them. The tables have turned. Are you ready? Okay, cool. So what we're going to do, we've got some of you guys during the last few weeks have written um, some questions down. So we're going to start with those questions. Um, Then we're going to take questions from the floor. um, And then I think there's a short talk. Is that right? Lovely. Okie dokie. I have the first one, I think. So, cool. This one says, um, this is not an issue for me now, but I know it's an issue for some. (coughs) I am a Christian. Like Paul says, instead of committing sin, get married. But it's almost impossible to find a husband or wife. Um, I do trust God, and I'm praying, and I feel alone still. There is no hope of getting married. So, it's, uh, so how would you respond to that one? Okay, why not begin with a... I mean, I think the, the first thing is just to acknowledge the... Uh, the the reality of that challenge, yeah, that is a real challenge um, in our world. That there are people who um, Christians could, um, who who want to be married, and um, but but it's not happened. They can't they can't find someone. It's 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 not it's not worked out yet for them. But they still have all those feelings and desires and all that kind of stuff. And and I think I just just need to acknowledge that reality. Uh, and at the same time, for those who have that those desires and feelings, acknowledge the reality and where you are seeking to live God's way, just to honour you in that, yeah, because that is not that is not easy. Um, there's just I think two things I would say. One is um, it's not easy, but there is there is nothing in at least in the Bible that that promises um, marriage and children for people who want it. There's no actual promise of that. And we, would be, um, uh, we wouldn't be being fair to people if we tried to pretend that there was. There's, there's not. But we live in a world where you can almost achieve whatever you want to achieve and get whatever you want to get. And so there's this tension of this isn't happening but but I kind of live at a time where I can almost fulfill all my dreams if I want to. And so culturally, it feels like anything goes or anything's possible. But in reality, that is often not the case. Um, and when I was talking about, and so I just think there is this tension of what, what does the Bible say? What, what is the reality for the Christian? And what is the reality for the world in which we live? When I spoke on this a, a few weeks ago... Um, I was talking about, um, and this may or may not help, but this, this is what I saw uh, in, the, in the scripture when Jesus talks about the eunuch. And, and the eunuch essentially is, I mean, there's, there's all sorts of definitions, but it's an unmarried person, someone who's not married. Um, and Jesus talks about th- three kinds of eunuchs. He talks about eunuchs who are, there's just something sovereign in the way they are, that they, that they haven't, they're not married. It's just a sovereign thing of God. They don't marry he talks about eunuchs who have people who have come to the place where they have chosen not to marry. And then he talks about eunuchs who are eunuchs because people have made them that way. That it's not their choice, the circumstance or the situation that they're in. 
and I, I feel like there are many people who would marry if they could, but it's not, if you like, life hasn't allowed that. Um, but I think that God is still faithful to them. And actually, if you read the scripture, God compensates for those who are, you know, the widow who has no husband, the person who can't have children, that there is something that, that God brings to them. So I don't, I don't think it's an easy thing. So I don't want to acknowledge, I don't want to pretend it's easy. Neither do I want to give some kind of just modern answer. If you do certain things, this happens. I just think that there is a reality that people live in. Um, and within that reality, God is still faithful and God is still good. And it, it's finding him in that, even though that is a, a difficulty. But at the same time, that it's not that you don't you don't pray for that. I mean, you know, my older sister who's not married at the moment, she prays for her husband all the time. Um, it's not that that doesn't happen, but there is just, we, we live in a reality and we trust that God is faithful to us in that. Sorry, that's a long answer. But. Okay, um, as we know at Beacon, lots of, um, lots of babies, lots of children, lots of young families and growing families. Um, I think maybe Pauline could answer this one. When would you say it's a good time to like, be really intentional about one-to-one time with your children? In? Yeah, well, how, how old was Yasmin when I went out to Greenwich? Nine days. Nine days. There you go, from nine days. So I think um, I, I do believe that. I believe that having an intentional one-to-one time with your child starts from birth. Um, it obviously looks different as they get older, um, but you don't go through life and then decide, right, you're the age I can take you out. Because by the time they're that age, if you've not been investing before, you know, it, it just can feel a bit awkward or difficult. So I think if you just from birth, I always gave my kids to Owen at times so that he would have that one-to-one time. And it looked different depending what age they were. Um, and then became more of an obvious one-to-one when I used to take them out uh, on a one-to-one sort of situation. But but I think it starts from birth, yeah, just reading a story, you know, having that one-to-one reading a story um, or one-to-one playing a game. I was very good at that. Whatever the girls were into at any point, he would get into it whether he liked it or not, uh, just to have that connection. So, well, actually, I think you did like most of the things you got into even though he shouldn't have done, like High School Musical and uh, dance programmes. But there you go, it's another story. So, yeah. From... Right, the whole... Oh, it's gone. It's just, um, the whole practicalities of submission, love your wives as Christ did the church thing. You said at one point to the, um, the husbands are... Um, sorry, you said at one point to the husbands, um, are you conceding to your wives? But that sounds like submission to me. So how are the two things different... Or do they actually look the same? How do they, how do they practically work out together? <laughs> I'm confused. <laughs> okay. Um, do you want me to repeat the question? No. You're no. right. Okay. Um, I, mean, I, I mean, I think they are different because um, the, just the, the, I, for us, our understanding of what the Bible says, the roles of men and women in marriage are slightly different. Um, but the idea that the, the, the idea that submission um, kind of goes across them all it, it is is perfectly right because just before 
the passage in Ephesians 5, 22 to 33, which talks about husbands and wives and submission and stuff. Verse 21 just simply says, submit to one another. So, so there is that overarching sense of submission that we should have to one another. But, but, but the way I've sometimes tried to describe the role of husbands and wives as, as we understand it from, from the Bible is, is, is if you've got a husband and wife team, every, every team has a captain. Every, every team has that person who uh, in the end makes, you know, makes that final decision or whatever. And, and I, I feel like there's a, I mean, that's a really kind of twee example of uh, husbands play that kind of role, that leadership role, that, that moment in, in a marriage. Um, and, and I think submission is the acceptance of that. So it's not even necessarily um, uh, an action. It's just the acceptance that that's how it is rather than a, um, okay, I don't have an opinion. I don't say anything. Our, our life functions very much. If you just looked at it, it would look very, very equal. It wouldn't look like there was much difference, but there is an acceptance of that role of submission. I think in terms of the husband, um, the, the reason I talk about um, conceding is, is the husband's role is one of sacrifice because that's what Jesus did. Jesus, Jesus was the head of the church, but he sacrificed for the church which means that he counted the cost, he took the hits, he came down, he reached out. All of those things Jesus did. And I think that that's the role of the husband, is, is to bring that kind of sacrifice. And um, that, at times, in reality, you concede, you, you reach out, you, you give in. Um, I think you do all of those things as a, as a husband. You pursue yeah, if there's breakdown, you don't have two days where you don't talk. Well, she may not want to talk, but you pursue. That's that's how I would kind of understand it. So, so I, I do see them as different. I, I think the husband takes responsibility, and that sometimes husbands cannot do that. But I think that is the biblical approach. You take responsibility. You ensure. Does that make sense? I suppose, following on from that, we've got a question saying. It's like obvious you're the spiritual head of the household, but say it's a situation where the husband doesn't naturally take the lead. Um, what can maybe the church do to kind of, church do to kind of help with that and um, taking spiritual leadership? Yeah, I mean, I mean, sometimes we, um, sometimes I think what we get confused with is is that role of the husband as as the, as the head of the home, that spiritual role with just leadership some some women some wives have just got more leadership in them than their than other people around them and including their husbands um but that in itself doesn't need to negate um an understanding that that couple have as where where does this sit between us where does it sit in terms of submission and sacrifice and we go there simply because the Bible goes there. That's why we go there. We don't go there because we're, we're wanting to be in any way domineering. And so I think that it's possible for a husband to, to play that role of spiritual, you know, have that spiritual kind of oversight, but at the same time allow his wife, who may have way more leadership than him, to, to, to function in that and, and, and to lead within that context and probably to lead better and more securely 
Does, does, that, does that help? Cool. How do you work through an issue as a team when one of you has an issue that needs addressing? You can start. I'm going to start, then you're going to finish. Maybe. <laughs> okay, so one of the things that we would often talk about is, is your issues are in front of you, they're not between you. And that, that sounds great. Your issues are in front of you, they're not between you. And we would also talk about, uh, in, our, in our experience, that Pauline's issue becomes our issue. It's not, it's not just Pauline's issue. Um, what does that look like in practice? Because those are, those are kind of great theories, and you go, okay, yeah, the issue's in front of us, it's your issue, it's not my issue. What that really means is, um, if, I, if I try and give a practical example, which won't fully t- explain it, but it will help, I think. Um, when we had our children, and many, some of you are having children now, when we had our children, obviously Pauline carried the children, yeah? I didn't carry the children, yeah? I didn't... No, I didn't carry them, my love. Uh, Pauline sometimes thinks that I do carry children, but I didn't carry the children when we had them. Um, but there are many, many ways that, that, that we could walk through that pregnancy. We could walk through that pregnancy with me saying... Pauline's the one who's pregnant, you know, thank God, it's not me, um, and kind of try and be helpful. Or we could walk through that going, this is our pregnancy. This is our pregnancy. And, and whatever I can do to ensure that this goes well, I'll do it. You know, I, that I can be supportive, be, be there, you know, go and get the cheese in the middle of the night if that's what's needed. Or, or whatever is required, we do it. And so when it comes to an issue, it's more about your attitude towards it. So, you know, let's say we've got, I've got a problem that we identify, and we identify it's a problem. We both agree, I mean, that's a problem in you. And I go, yeah, that's a problem in me. Um, Pauline supporting me in that problem is not accepting the, the problem. It's not like, oh, well, you know, that's just the way it is. Actually, it's accepting the fact that we're in a process together to work through that problem. And so that, that might be through prayer. It might be just through patiently working with me on it. I mean, I know couples even here where someone's got an issue and the other person has helped them, even though the issue has been undermining to them. So it's important that you can do that, that you can help your partner, even when the issue that they've got hurts you, it's undermining to you, you're still there to support and help them. And um, people need that. And I think that's what I kind of mean when I talk about putting issues in front of you and you work together on them as, as a team. You're, even when it hurts me, the issue that Pauline's got, or it hurts her, the issue I've got, we still, I still am supportive and helping and praying and being patient with it. Yeah, I'm just going to reiterate what you said, really, but I haven't spoken for a while, so that's why I'm doing it. Um, <laughs> I think when you get married, it does say the two become one, and I think we live in an individual... Individ- society and we can sometimes think that is your problem that is my problem but if you really truly believe the two become one then it does become your our problem and uh, and actually when you approach it like that I find you approach it from a much better place than if you're approaching it from it that's your problem and you're in a much better position to work it through well together than to separate yourself from it just one other really quick thing on that um, sometimes your husband or your wife are the very best person to help you through the problem. 
And so if you don't take the approach where you're together on it, you can miss that. Um, thinking about parenting, um, it's often said that you know, routine's really good for children. Um, I often think it's good for parents as well. Uh, but uh, I suppose what our experience has been that particularly with young children, there can be like a lot of upheaval. And so you kind of, baby arrives, you just get this feel like you just get into a routine, then maybe mum's going back, on, I'm going back to work then you know, go through that again, and then the children start in school. How do you, what kind of things have you done to help navigate the kind of upheaval that the early years bring? Hmm. I think every... I've, I've quite fortunate being married to Anne because he's a forward thinker, whereas I live in the moment. And so we complement each other well on that. And so because... You're probably better to talk on this, but I will say on your behalf a few things. So when we, were, when we used to go away to the Brighton Leaders for a week, that was always an opportunity for you, wasn't it, to talk about the next phase. I wasn't that much interested because I did live in the moment, but he forced me in. So we'd talk about the next phase, and I found that really helpful, to be honest, um, planning and thinking about it. What does it look like? Um, what do we want from it? And so he, I think... He was very intentional. Now, if you're not intentional, I don't know if this answer is going to help anyone. I don't know if you've got any... You can add, OK, you add then. Uh, I mean, it is, a, it is a challenging phase when you have young children. You have one, you have two, you have three. Um, you're not sleeping. Um, it highlights all the, all the issues between you as a, as a couple. Um, and there's an element where I just think, and, and it doesn't sound great advice... You, you, you just need to kind of hold on in it. There's a bit where you're just holding on. You're, you know, all your, all your principles are gone, all the thoughts you had, they're out the window, all the theology you had about parenting is gone, and it's just you and it's, and it's your partner, and maybe they're not being as helpful as you want them to be. You just need to hold on. You just, you just uh, I know it doesn't help you, but you just, you just keep going. You literally, you just keep going. And... The thing you mustn't do is worry too much about the things you thought it would be and the way you thought it would be, and it's not. Don't worry about those things. Just, just do the thing in the moment. Because, because it does change, because God is developing your character through that, and you know that, don't you? Because you're having to find more grace than you thought you had. You're having to find more patience than you thought you had. And that's with your partner let alone with the children. So God is doing things in you and you, you just need to embrace it and not worry about all the things that you thought you might be doing or you thought the kind of parent you thought you'd be. Uh, it, it's literally ju- just holding on. And then where there are moments, snatch moments, for the two of you, and I would definitely do that. I know you've, you, you've got young children and they're all around. I would definitely be snatching moments for the two of you to talk to talk about transition, to talk about the next phase, to connect together, because, as we've always said, the priority relationship is still the married one. It's not, it's not the kids. It's still the married one. That's still priority. So you must find moments where you can, um, you can stay connected together for the sake of the family, yeah, and that you don't become focused too much on the kids or focused too much on work. And you don't start going, oh, it wasn't like this when we didn't have children. You know, wake up. You've got kids now. It changes. Um, so, sorry, I know that sounds really awful. Yeah, I'd say it helps if you, 
embrace that season. Actually, he's saying, get through it, get through it. I mean, I embraced it and I loved it, but I, I am not every woman does, and there's no right or wrong in that. But I think embrace it. I think you, you don't put your life on hold until you want to do. This is part of your life, and uh, just enjoying your children while you have them because it is, it is a blink in an eye and they're gone. I do remember a lady saying to me when I had my youngest and others and we weren't sleeping, oh, you know, it will go by before you know it. And I remember thinking, you've forgotten what it's like, you know. Uh, but it, I'm that old person now saying the same thing. And so, yeah, just embrace it. season. Your time will come. If there's things you can't do now that you want to do that you find difficult laying out, it will come. It is a short season. And linking to that, uh, when things outside of parenting, but just in general, are hard in marriage, what motivates you to push through that together? Oh, we like this one, don't we? <laughs> Um, well it's interesting uh, (laughs) because I think God's timing's perfect and uh, we've been married nearly 30 years and I've in every marriage counselling session we've had I've been saying to people you know our arguments are just less we just don't have many we've learnt how to communicate with one another we have a good synergy with one another, blah, blah, blah. And I think in the last two weeks, we've had two big arguments. Is that right? So I, think that's, <laughs> I think that's God humbling me. So that's not the advice I give. You do sometimes still have big arguments 30 years later. So, um, but what we have learned through that, the working through them, uh, it just does get better. I, it, it's a very human example, but I think if you want to be a good athlete... It's hard work. You have to train. And if every time you go on the track and you do a couple of metres and think, oh, I can't bother to give up, you ain't going to improve. And, and it's still going to be as hard the next time you face it. But if you can work through that barrier and carry on running, it gets easier and you get stronger. And that's the analogy, I think, towards us and our marriage and investing in, in misunderstandings or arguments or different viewpoints. We, do, they, we say it's hard work, and it is hard work, but... There is fruit from it, and in a way, just like the athlete running a whole track, becomes easier, that investment was worthwhile. That's how I view our relationship, or we view our relationship. So any, any unalignment, we generally just talk and talk and talk. And we talk till we get to the point of, of resolution, you know, that can be in a moment, that can be two days, three days, whatever. But we will, we will work it through. We never leave anything unresolved. We never leave where either one of us has got a bad taste in their mouth, so to speak. And because it does reap the reward. So people go, oh, I can't be bothered. But believe me, it's easier to do that than live with an unresolved issue because it just constantly rears its head in different scenarios throughout the rest of your married life if you don't deal with it. Do you want to add anything to that? Oh, okay. Okay, two very quick ones before we um, move on to questions from the floor. Um, these ones are illustrated, so it's obviously, you know, quite heartfelt. My husband thinks oh. he can be a professional footballer. How do I tell him it's not going to happen? <laughs> can you guess who that one's from? And the, and the second one, I think it was the same person. Um, my husband always looks miserable. <laughs> what can I do to make him look friendly and approachable? <laughs> Any comments? That was me being silly in the meeting. We'll move on from those. Okay, moving on. <laughs> can, sorry, I couldn't let that go without reading those ones. Okay, so I suppose, um, are there any questions, Rowan Pawnee? Obviously, we talked about parenting, marriage, um, just family and singleness. If anyone don't want to make it too much like primary school hands up, but that might be helpful. Let's... 
Do you find your love for each other has grown and intensified over the years since you've been married in a more spiritual level? We both have to answer this because it might be different. Um, so, <laughs> um, yeah, but funny enough, uh, I haven't told you this, but probably more in recent years than, than a gradual thing. So I probably, I probably pushed back at Owen a lot in our early years of marriage and I found him annoying. And so my love wasn't really growing much, I'd say. It was a committed relationship. Uh, but, I, I, sorry, but I must admit, in the last sort of, I don't know, six, seven years, I actually understand what people said, that your love does go stronger. In fact, I used to sometimes think, oh, is there something wrong with our relationship? Because my love, I still loved him, but it didn't, weren't growing stronger. But I, I can honestly say towards the latter part, uh, the, my appreciation and my love for Owen has just really been on an upward trajectory. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I... Uh... <laughs> No. Uh, yes, your love does grow. Uh, yes, you... Uh, one of the reasons why I feel I, I step out a little bit more to talk about marriage and parenting is because I've realised, oh, it can genuinely work. It can get better. It's not that, you know, we're just hanging on. You know, we're just, like, together, just trying to make it work. And if you came to our house, you'd find that we don't talk. We're never together together. We're always together. And so what I've realised is investing in the relationship, which is what we decided years ago, we would invest in this over and above every other relationship. That's worked. That would be my my testimony, is it works. And then with the girls, I've realised it's worked a bit. It's worked. And so I feel a lot more... um, Well, I don't feel confident. I feel just a lot more able to say to people... Actually, sometimes we think marriage just goes along and then you get to a point where you're just holding on. You're just kind of there together. Um, um, and, you know, you just keep going because that's what you do. Uh, ours is not like that. Ours has got better. It genuinely has. Okay. Um, can I just ask, you know, like, what when somebody marries a non-Christian, and they were both non-Christians when they married. One becomes a Christian, one doesn't. And afterwards, maybe the person becomes, the person that is non-Christian becomes very secretive about anything in the home. Does that mean you have to hold on as a Christian to the non-Christian, or is it because that means the home is splitting up somehow? What do you do? So it's a really good question for me. So, 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 um, I think if if, if 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 a couple get married and they're not Christian, and then one of them becomes Christian, um, uh, I mean the Bible talks about that specifically in one Corinthians seven, and it, it talks about. You know, if you are with someone who's not a Christian and they are willing to live with you, you stay with them. Um, but if they're not willing to live with you, now you've come to faith, then, then and, that, and that separates, it separates. Um, what I would say into that 
situation that you've described. It sounds a specific situation, but I don't know. Um, if I were the Christian in that situation, I would be looking for help outside of the marriage. I wouldn't just go, okay, things have become a bit more secretive. What's going on? I might ask some questions. If I'm not getting any answers, I'd be looking for help. Um, and that would be my first probably, um, I mean, after trying to speak to my partner, if I wasn't getting anything there, I w- I'd look for help. I would not necessarily do this publicly, but I would, uh, I would be asking, what do I do in this situation, um, you know, as an, as an individual? Because it may be that the couple need help, and it may be that they're open to help, but you don't, you don't know until you, until you speak to them. And as we know, the principles that we talk about are, are, are definitely Christian, but boy, could they help people who are not Christian. So I would definitely want to, you know, encourage people to find ways of helping. And some of that help might simply be time. that People need more time to work things out um, rather than a magic solution. I've realized there aren't magic solutions for issues, just so you know that. There's not a magic solution um, for any issue that you might have. There is, there is a trusting of God and a growing impatience, and those kinds of things. Does that kind of help you? Just yeah. Okay. Okay. I think Stella has a question. So bear with me. My question isn't thought through yet. But I was just—I was just thinking practically. How do you? We're Christian. I'm a Christian. I want my children to know that it's the only way. But they have to work that out for themselves. When they are five and they're invited, say, to a Halloween party, do you practically, how does it work? Do you say, no, you're not going because it's evil? Or do you let them go because their friends are going? Um, and how does that work throughout their lives? Do you let them do what they want to do yeah. because they haven't yet realised that that is wrong? Or do you say, no, that's wrong, don't do it? Yeah, no, it's a really good question. Really good question. I, I think... Um, so, uh, so I think in the world in which we live, which, which is very much um, um, seeking not to be Christian, yeah, around us, you know, uh, things like Halloween have grown massively in, rec- in recent years. Um, personally, now, um, I, wouldn't, I, I wouldn't be fearful of that. I wouldn't worry about that. I wouldn't be encouraging it. And if I, if I could find a way of my kids not doing it without them, it, them thinking it was a big issue then I would. But if they went, I, I wouldn't be, personally, I wouldn't be bothered, personally. The thing that matters, and I, I talked a, a little bit about this last week, is um, there are three things that help your children see faith really well. One is that they, you're part of a, a community where God dwells, a church. You're part of a local church. You're committed to it. They see it. They observe it. Secondly, they see faith in your life, authentic faith, not you're preaching to them, but they're observing it. And thirdly, they see faith demonstrated in your relationship with them. Yeah. So the example I gave last week would be the example of grace. Yeah. Your children hear grace talked about at church. They see grace in your life and they experience grace through their relationship with you. If they don't get those three things, then them growing in faith becomes a little bit more tricky, yeah? So, so your way of bringing faith to them, it's like, yeah, the world can do whatever the world can do. My kids are going to see God in me. They're going to see it. I'm not going to be preaching to them. I'm going to pray for them. 
I'm not preaching to them, but I'm going to show consistently and constantly that this way of living is compelling. Yeah? I think that's what, that's what we try to do with our girls. That's the Owen A star answer. <laughs> I'm going to give you the Pauline C minus answer to that. Uh, it's all good. I agree with it. It's the A star. Um, practically, what we did, um, we didn't encourage our kids to go. So they didn't go until they were of the age where they had their own choice. But I was quite mindful, especially, forgive me, Rihanna, Rihanna does love sweets, so it was a big deal for her not to go. And so what I would do, uh, we did this a couple of Halloween evenings, I would buy sweets for them, um, forgive me, Maureen, uh, I'd buy sweets for them, and we'd sit watching a movie. So I made an event of it, so she wasn't missing, because for her, she didn't want to celebrate, am I right, Rihanna, you didn't want to celebrate Halloween, you just wanted the sweets, most kids do. You know, they're not caught up into the meaning of Halloween and that all they see is free sweets and so so I sort of got around it that way in a few years where I would so she would be getting the sweets uh, all of them would and uh, watching a movie and tackling it that way I, I made mistakes we all make mistakes I remember at one point thinking we'll pretend we're not in and and have the lights down and, da, da. and then I realized my kids was getting a bit fearful oh <laughs> someone at the door you know and I was like oh that's not working so it was <laughs> I made lots of mistakes before. Okay, let's open the door. You know, let's. I think someone suggested doing tracks with a suite. I think I did that once, and then I forgot the tracks the next year. And so, you know, it's just, it was just all over the place. If I'm honest, but principally, we certainly did not encourage them to do that. And if it was, if they said, "Oh, can we do that?" I would try and distract more with what line in line of what we believe, and so, but make it easy on them. You know, get some sweets in. Okay, I think um, we've got maybe time for a couple more. One. Um, mine's a bit broad, I suppose, but have you any advice or tips for t- <laughs> talking about um, your Christian relationship, I suppose, your marriage under Christian principles to friends or colleagues who don't see that way? And I'm thinking particularly about like p- people who are maybe homosexual or would identify as like a different um, tr- like gender or whatever. Yeah, I mean, I, I probably wouldn't do that any different to what I would do with my kids. So, so let, let me just give you an example. Uh, fundamentally, issues around sexuality are around identity. So that's where I would go. So I would talk, so I would talk about, you know, the importance of identity, the importance of knowing who you are. And, and that's really important. And in fact... So, so probably I would go there when I talk to people um, who want to belong to something. Of course, it's important to belong. Probably I also allow, uh, you know, as long as I'm kind of clear on what, what I believe, uh, there's my response to people who maybe carry different ideas or different thoughts. First response is, is one of just graceful acceptance. Yeah. So I'm not quoting the Bible at people who are different to me. I'm not saying, oh, did you know it says this about... I'm not doing that at all. There's, there's grace-filled acceptance of people. And then, the, and then through relationship, there are moments where you might have conversations around those deeper issues like identity. It's not the box of, can I get the gospel message in? And the gospel message are these words. It's not that at all. It's more about... Yeah, I, I get the importance of knowing who you are, and I get the importance of 
understanding what you, where you belong and all of those kinds of things. So, so for me, there's a lot more grace in, that, in how I do that than there's relationship which allows to have conversations. So that's probably how I approach those kinds of things. Okay, I think we'll go to Maureen for our last question. It was more of a, a comment, really. In um, one of the earlier questions, there was, it was from a single person, um, and they expressed that there was no hope of finding a partner. And I just think, you know, there is never no hope with God. Yeah. Um, I had a friend when I was working at care who used to say, you never know what's around the corner. And that is so true. Um, and I just think... You know, the important thing is our heart, our relationship with God, and also just knowing that we can have complete joy and fulfillment as a single person. You know, when you're single, you can look at being married as the panacea of all ills, you know, the the holy grail, the everything. And actually, if you talk to married people, they have all their issues and problems and everything, and sometimes they would long, you know, to have all the freedoms of being a single person. I just think it's really important just to recognise, you know, that balance of, um, you know, the joy and the fulfilment as a single person in God. Yeah, I think you're right. I think marriage has been viewed as the pinnacle of everything. And I always quote this... uh, Say to single people, it's better, it's better to be single and wish you were married than to be married and wish you were single. And, and that is true. Um, people can desire this thing, but when they get it, it's not all it's cracked out to be. And so you sometimes only find that when it's too late. Not, not that I'm speaking personally. So, um, well, great questions, everyone. But um, should we give like, only pointing a round of applause? They really blessed us taking the time to. And I was enjoying it so much, almost forgot that Owen has to speak a little bit. <laughs> so if he's then come say a few words. Okay. Um, I am not going to speak for long, please. But I did just want to make a, a couple of comments. Um, so last week, somebody sent me a, a, a message, like on WhatsApp, with some statistics around parenting and children, which I I found really interesting. It was research done on challenging behaviour. You might have read it. It was on on the BBC website, done by King's College London. And and it was some research of young people between the ages of 9 and 17. And the study was looking at, in part, the financial cost to society of raising children who have challenging behaviour and looking at their relationship with their parents. It found that young people who were securely attached, like they had emotional support from their parents, cost society less than those who weren't. And uh, it broke down like this. When it came to young people who were securely attached to their mothers, it cost society... £6,743 for the child who was securely attached to the mother. For the child who was insecurely attached to the mother, the cost was £10,119. So it was, it was like a third more, 30% more. When it came to fathers, it was even more stark. Kids who were securely attached to their fathers 
cost society 1,353 pounds. Kids who were insecurely attached to their fathers cost society 13,978 pounds. So a much, much wider gap. The research concluded that there was need for considerable investment in some kind of parenting class or course to help parents, um, I suppose, gain those attachments to their children. And it was also encouraging, um, I suppose, people to think of this as a public health issue. Yeah, this idea of children and their attachment to their parents, that it was a public health issue. It wasn't just a society or cultural issue. I want to read a few verses from 1 Timothy chapter 5, where it says this. Never speak harshly to him, but appeal to him respectfully as you would to your own father. Talk to younger men as you would to your own brothers. Treat older women as you would your mother, and treat younger women with all purity as you would your own sisters. It talks about relationships, and and we've been looking at, over these last few weeks, we've been looking at marriage and family and parenting, and, and simply by looking at those two things properly, it means we've also looked at singleness and sex and divorce and all of those other things that we've, we've looked at over these weeks. And that's been a good thing for us to do. But it's helpful when you come to a, a passage like this where you realise family relationships are what the church is built upon. So this is not just about your nuclear family, your father and mother and the children. This is way more than that. Yeah? God reflects family. That's how he does it. God does it through relationships. If you were to ask the question, is God relational? Of course he is. That's why there's a father. That's why there's a son. That's why all we've been given, if you like, when God breathed into Adam, he breathed the characteristics that allowed Adam to be relational, to, be, to make family, to do that. That was God's thing. Family relationships are what the church is built on, not just you in your family, but actually us as a body, we're meant to have those kinds of relationships. Older men are like your fathers. Younger men are like your brothers. Older women are like your mothers, and younger women are like your sisters. And in the 21st century, today, 2019, family relationships in the church are missional and they're a witness to others because that study shows us that there is this kind of breakdown of family around us where people do not necessarily have secure attachment to a mother figure or a father figure, but this is telling us when they do, it's really helpful. It's really helpful when when children have a secure attachment to an adult figure. Not an abusive relationship, a secure, grace-filled attachment. And you don't need to be a Christian to be grace-filled like that, to accept a young person. You don't need to be a Christian to do that. But you're seeing that this, something like this research, and it wasn't a massive research, to be fair, but this kind of research makes us go as a church, oh my goodness, what are we doing? 
What are we doing? Are we doing this thing? Are we doing the very thing that God tells us to do in terms of building appropriate relationships between people in the church? Are you coming to church and finding that there are people there who function to you as a father or as a mother? Are you treating people like brothers and sisters? Are you having appropriate relationships with the people around you? Because if we're doing that in the church in the way that the Bible says we should do it, that becomes a witness to people outside. Yeah. So, so I kind of wanted to end this series of looking at specifically marriage and family and all of those things to go, actually, the church is family. It is family. And I don't mean it's, oh, sometimes the church, I can talk about the church as family, and then we can think about our family, think, no, the church isn't family. This is family. For some of us, the church is, as I've said before, it's like my badminton club where I go sometimes. Yeah, I go there occasionally, uh, and we get on really well, and I play, and I enjoy it, and I come away again. Occasionally, we might go for a drink or whatever. We can sometimes think of the church like that, but when we think of the church like that, we miss something. We miss something very fundamental. And we miss something, particularly when we want to raise our children to know God, we miss something when we think the church is like an optional extra to that. Yeah, As I said, those three things... Your authentic walk with God, the authentic community, the genuine community you have in the church, and your relationship with your children, if you do that constantly and consistently, you give your kids a much, much better chance that they will, in the end, follow him. Whereas if you miss out church, if church is like the badminton group, then your kids will never understand the value of the community. They'll never get it. So you kind of need those things, or they'll opt in and they'll opt out they will kind of do what you do. That's, that's kind of how it works. And we had, um, I think I've mentioned this before, we had this quite, it was quite a sad text that Pauline got from a friend who, who was wanting us to get one of our daughters to connect with her daughter. And she was like, oh, you know, I'm living with regret because we didn't make that, we didn't do enough about it. We didn't make it a priority. So family relationships are what the church is built on. Family relationships in the church are missional and they're a witness to others. And we are witnesses of great godly relationships. So we've talked these last few weeks and and what we've talked about is important for us as a church. But it's more than that. It's more than that. I had a conversation with someone uh, the other week and they talked about they had a friend who wasn't a Christian, whose, whose kind of relationship was falling apart. And they were saying, do you, you know, do you ever do like marriage counselling for people who aren't, who aren't Christian? And, and it's not that we don't. Um, and then uh, the other Sunday, I can't remember what Sunday, a couple of Sundays ago I spoke and, and, and this person contacted me again and they said, oh, some of what you said there has given me tools that I can help my friend with. I can now help them. And there is something about what we're talking about it's not just for you and for us. It's not just for Beacon Church. This is for every connection you have outside of Beacon. You will now have a little bit more understanding to help people in relationships. Yeah? And they're going to listen to you. They're not going to come to church right now. Yeah? So Fumi's conversation, she may have a friend there. Fumi can go back to her friend and say, oh, actually, this is, this is what I think. This is what, this is what the Bible's been saying. And so part of what we want to do is to equip the church to be able to help people 
who are having relationship problems because you've got something now to tell them. And it's not just old mythical, oh, if you just try your best, if you do your best, oh, I know, I understand. No, you can speak to them. Oh, actually, the way we try and work this out together is this. You don't always need to mention Jesus to tell the gospel. Now, please don't misunderstand what I've just said there. <laughs> yeah? Jesus is the gospel. Jesus is the one who transforms our lives. But when you're building bridges to people, sometimes you might bring things to them, and then in the end, there's the question, well, where does all that come from? So I feel like there is something about us being equipped as a community of believers to do the family relationships, to do all of that stuff, but also to be able to help others who we know. Yeah? Because our connections are far and wide and varied. Yeah? And some of your friends will never enter church. But they're going through messed up relationships of which you can help. Yeah? And you don't even need to be married to help them. If you know, you just know some stuff. Oh, do you know what? This is, might be what I would do. And, and, and yet in the church, we also want to develop these relationships. I want to make reference, because as I say, it's not going to be long. I want to make reference to um, this word that Phil brought last week. And I don't know whether it got recorded, but he sent it to me. He brought a, he brought a word about marriages in Beacon. So Phil Hopgood, one of the elders here, he's not married. Um, but he brought this word about marriages in Beacon last week. And he talked about he had this prophetic sense over the last few days that he just wanted to put down and let us know. He emailed it to, to the elders uh, earlier on in the week. He says, as I was praying for some specific marriages in the church last week, I had a sense of God saying that Beacon will be a place where there will be marriages that will be looked at, leaned on, and learnt from. Looked at, there will be marriages that will attract attention. And the quality, strength, and the depth of love within these marriages will intrigue people from outside the church. For some people, this will be their role, their route into the kingdom and the subsequent healing of their own relationships and marriages. So this idea that marriage can be missional simply by you being Christian and being open about that to your friends. Secondly, marriages will be leaned on. God will give a particular grace to some marriages that enables these couples to give support beyond the confines of their immediate families. In some cases, this might include supporting other individuals and families and may even involve fostering an adoption. So he's looking there, looking forward. And then he said, learnt from. God will give a particular wisdom and level of insight to some couples that equips them to be a safe pair of hands to support fledgling, floundering and fractured marriages. So there is something for us to do. It's not just about us. It's not just about this community. There is something for us to do that goes beyond that. Over the last few years, Pauline and I have been involved personally in probably dozens of marriage situations, whether it's marriage preparation or marriage support or counselling or whatever it is, supporting and guiding couples both inside and outside the church. And this last period, we've been involved, it's been pretty intense. We've had a number of relationships that we've been um, supporting and working with, some of them even over the phone. I'm like, just giving advice uh, to a pastor in another place about situations in his context. And we realise that we can't 
just keep, we can't just keep doing that. Yeah, that there is a, a bit where that needs to go broader. And so as we have given marriage a focus over these last few weeks and we've been trying to look at um, how do you build those and, and how do you manage the parenting thing um, and the challenges that come with it. As I've been praying about it um, and given this focus, I, I feel like one of the things that we're to do as a church is to release people to be able to, to help, to be able to help people around them so that you don't, you don't simply watch your friend's relationship disintegrate into nothing, that you can bring some, something into it. You can bring some wisdom into it. So we, we want to be able to train and release people to help those around them. And so um, the plan, and, and we haven't fully hashed it out, um, but at, at some point, I think we're going like, to run a, a training and equipping thing for people in the church who want to be able to help people, whether it's marriage, whether it's uh, parenting, whether it's relationships. You, you, don't, you don't actually need to have experienced everything to help people with some wise advice. But it does help if you get your advice from somewhere and you know, actually, us, we're, we're kind of trying to bring advice. This is what the Bible says. This seems to be how God would do it. That's where we're kind of going with it. It's not just you've got some good ideas. It's not random. I don't think marriage or parenting or relationships are random. Yeah, God has plans. God has a way of doing stuff. And that's what we want to tap into. So we're wanting to, to, to help people. We're wanting to run something. We haven't worked out fully what that looks like. But we want to identify some people who want to be involved in that and, and the identification comes with you going oh yeah I would love to I'd love to be trained to be able to help people yeah because I'm around people all the time I'd love to be able to do that uh, and also you'd love to help yourself yeah because our, our, our learning is as we've invested in the marriage we've realised we are reaping rewards and a return that we didn't know existed before we invested and our observation of marriages would have been, oh, after a certain while, some marriages just coast. They just seem to keep going. Yeah? There were a few we saw that seemed to get better, but most of them just seemed to coast along. Ours has got better, and we're like, oh, it can get better. It can. But you need to invest in it. So we want to help people do that. And if you feel like, do you know what? We would like to be trained to help. Uh, others, people outside the church, people that we know, uh, then you, you kind of just need to let, let, let us know. Let, 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 yeah, let us know somehow. And what, and what we're talking about in terms of what, do you, what, what would put you in the place where you want to do that, there are just three qualities that I kind of think you've got to think about. You've got to have a deep love for God, yeah, because it's God's way that we're looking for. You've also probably got to have a deep love and commitment to the church and the relationships within it. Even though what you might do is be giving advice outside of the church, you've got to understand where it comes from. And then you've just got to be willing to learn, to be trained, and, you know, the oversight of the leaders of the church and that kind of stuff. And it's to equip you to help those around you in their relationships and to learn how to invest in your own relationships. Not necessarily just marriage, your own relationships. So we're going to do something on that uh, maybe early next year. We've not worked out the detail. Now, um, I was thinking about that, 
And then on Saturday morning, when I was doing my own devotion and my own meditations, I read, this was my Spurgeon reading. This is what Spurgeon wrote. Micah chapter 5, and, and forgive me, it's, it's Old English. Yeah, it's Old English. And the remnant of Jacob shall be in the midst of many people as a dew from the Lord, as the showers upon the grass that tarrieth not for man, nor waiteth for the sons of men. The remnant of Jacob shall be in the midst of many people as a dew from the Lord, as the showers upon the grass that tarrieth not for man, nor waiteth for the sons of men. Spurgeon writes about, about that. If this be true of the literal Israel, we don't need to go into all of that, much more is it true of the spiritual Israel, the believing people of God. When saints, which is us, are what they should be, they are an incalculable blessing to those among whom they are scattered. They are the Jew, for in a quiet, unobtrusive manner, they refresh those around them. Silently but effectually, they minister to the life, growth and joy of those who dwell with them. So just the people who live around you. Coming fresh from heaven, glistening like diamonds in the sun, gracious men and women attend to the feeble and insignificant till each blade of grass has its own drop of dew. Little as individuals, they are, when united, all sufficient for the purposes of love which the Lord fulfills through them. Dewdrops accomplish the refreshing of broad acres. Lord, make us like the dew. Godly people are as showers which come at God's bidding without man's leave and license. They work for God whether men desire it or not. They no more ask human permission than the rain does. Lord, make us thus boldly, prompt and free in thy service wherever our lot is cast. Old English. But what it's basically saying is the church, the people of God, are people who go out into the world and they bring this sense of refreshment and joy and help and support to those that they encounter. And I'm saying that when it comes to relationships, when it comes which are key, they're fundamental when it comes to marriage and relationships and parenting. And you talk to people every day and they're telling you stuff and you're like, oh my goodness. What? When it comes to that, you have the potential to be the Jew. You have the potential to bring wisdom and help and support to people who at that point may never walk into a church. But as you begin to bring help to them, you build a bridge to the church because you are the church. So that's kind of where I wanted to just end this whole um, kind of series, that it's not just about those individual relationships, although, thank God, where they work, yeah? And hold hold on, and and sorry if some of the advice was a bit like, just hang on there, (laughs) but it's true. Um, It's it's not just about that. I think there is something that all of us can be equipped to do, um, but rather than we're telling people old wives' tales and just things we've heard, random thoughts. We're giving them real truth that can help them and one day might lead to their salvation. Yeah? 
So why don't we stand and I'm going to pray and we're going we're gonna to finish there. Father, we, we just give you thanks that, that families and relationships and marriage and all of those things, they're yours. They were your idea. They weren't our idea. We didn't come up with them. You came up with them. Lord, you talked about the two becoming one. You breathed your life into Adam and of which we now are recipients of that. And Father, I want to pray for us as a church as we have just spent these weeks putting this deposit into us of, of godly relationships, godly parenting, godly examples, pure living, uh, appropriate relationships. Uh, Father, I'm asking that you would do something among us that is quite amazing. I, I pray for this word that Phil had about, about the marriages and relationships here in Beacon. I, I pray that, that that becomes who we are, that it will become us, that we'll become like that that we will see something that is unique that God is doing in this place. And Father, I pray for each one of us that we might go out, Lord, more and more equipped to help those around us rather than helplessly watching things fall apart, that we can bring truth and honesty and wisdom into situations that historically we might not be able to or might not even think about, but actually, God, you have enabled us to do it. I pray this in your name and for your glory. Amen. Okay, so we're going to finish there. Thank you um, uh, for coming. And I think there are drinks at the back. You have just listened to a Beacon Church recording. If you would like more information about us, our vision, the team, or upcoming events, please visit our website, which is beacon-church.org. You can email us at office at beacon-church.com or find us socially on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. You are welcome to share this recording as you wish, but please do not make any edits without express consent. Thank you.